Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. For those of you that have been in church for a while, I want you to think back to the, the first time that, that you heard some of those, those church terms. Um, a church term like the blood of the lamb. And, you know, I was kind of considering that as I was preparing for, for today. And thinking about, you know, what if I was just some high school kid who never came to church before? Just first time stepping in, in the doors and you start hearing about how you need to be covered by the, the blood of the lamb. And then pretty soon you start hearing about communion and how the, the communion is the, the blood and the, the body of some guy and how you need to eat it and you need to drink it. And then pretty soon you're just thinking like, man, if they bring out an animal and kill it here, I'm, I'm leaving and maybe calling the cops. Like, this is a little weird. And sometimes the, the imagery that, that we understand as followers of Christ, the, the things that maybe if you've been you know, in the church for a while, you're like, oh, of course that makes sense. Of course I know what we're talking about here. Sometimes the imagery that we see can be a lot to handle. And so this morning as we're talking about Revelation 13, when we start talking about dragons and beasts coming out of the earth and the sea, and we start talking about all the horns on these dragons and this cosmic battle that's going to be taking place, and, and pretty soon soon it starts looking like, I'm pretty sure I saw that on like Avengers Endgame, you know, some weird thing that's going to be happening here. And these people are insane. So let's maybe get some context. <laughs> let's, let's get a little bit of context before we jump straight into the, the beast, the dragons. And, and we are going to be talking about the mark of the beast today. And everybody's like, oh, good. I was, I was so excited. This is what we have been waiting for. Um, oh, man, this is going to be great. Uh, <laughs> first of all, what, it, what is the book of Revelation? It's a letter. The book of Revelation is a letter written by John to seven churches in Asia. And in this letter, he is using uh, apocalyptic imagery, uh, apocalyptic uh, mechanisms that, that bring about a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of symbols, and these symbols help us to understand. Remember what we talked about if we look at like the first week that we were talking about the book of Revelation. Imagery is meant to provoke something in us that goes beyond intellect that goes beyond intellect through emotion into the imagination and once it's at that that point of imagination it then informs the intellect so it it bypassed intellect to start but it then uses imagination to then inform intellect and ignite emotion within us and it's so that we have a clear understanding of what it is that's being talked about. So today, as we talk about this passage from Revelation, no, we don't think that there's some literal dragon that's out there trying to eat us, okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about here. But what I do know is that there is an enemy out to destroy 
me. There is an enemy that is out to destroy you. And if you begin to understand that enemy, then you begin to understand some of the heartache, the disappointment, the hardship that you face and that you will continue to face in this life. There's a clear understanding of, of why that's coming about. There is a real enemy that humankind is facing, and this book is here, this letter that is being written is here to expose it for what it is. So remember, Revelation is not this, this linear timeline that we follow. It's the, these glimpses, these windows that we look through. And so this first window that we looked through was the throne room, right? We, we see Christ on his throne, the center of all worship, the ultimate reality, the real reality. Everything is flowing towards that point. And then we have this, this second window that John sees, Right, we see the series of trumpet blasts where God is, is calling the world to repentance. And then we have this third window, which is this cosmic battle that's taking place where it's, let's be honest, a very different view of the Christmas story than what most of us think about. Where imagery is provoking something different in us that the normal language doesn't. When we see dragons and a woman clothed in the sun and the moon and the stars on her head, that's a lot different than Silent Night, Holy Night. And today we have this fourth window. The dragon that is enraged because of its, its loss of this cosmic battle is hurled down to earth, is bounced out of heaven, if we remember from last week. Bounced out of heaven, and now it is pursuing and working to destroy those who keep the commandments of God. This is the earthly battle. The dragon doesn't wage war directly. He calls out two beasts, two monsters to assist. And these monsters, along with the dragon, form a sort of trinity that is mimicking the, the actual triune God. We have the, the dragon, God the Father. We have a beast that comes out of the sea that we're going to see is, is maybe trying to mimic in some ways God the Son. Then we have a, a beast of the earth that comes out that, that is very much trying to mimic God the Spirit. They mock, they, they mimic, and are a pathetic replacement for the actual God. So let's talk about this, this first beast that, that comes about in verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it right now. It says, A dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had, wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. 
It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation, and all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Okay. That all makes total sense, right? We all understood that. <laughs> now, for those of you who have been, you know, sticking around Wood Street Chapel for a little bit, this, this hopefully rang some bells, right? There's this description of this beast that's talking about bears, that's talking about all of these different creatures. And you say, well, Matt, we just got done talking about Daniel, right? We, we just finished this study through the book of Daniel, and it wasn't just the first ch six chapters, right, with the lion's den and the, the uh, fiery furnace. I mean, those were the good parts, but then we had the second six chapters, which were, let's face it, a lot more complicated, a lot more difficult to preach out of from the pastor's standpoint. But um, there were these beasts, beasts that looked very similar to what we just talked about just now in Revelation 13. And what do those beasts represent in Daniel? In Daniel, those beasts represent countries. They represent governments. They represent nations. We have Babylon. We have Persia. We have the Medes. We have the Greeks. We have all of these different people groups that are represented in these beasts. And again, if we look at the book of Revelation, we can constantly look back to the word of God. And there, there are, are areas where we see this content being already presented. And so if we look back to the, the first church that is receiving this in 96 AD, they're receiving this saying, hey, this seems familiar. Because they know their Old Testament. They're, they're looking back at their Old Testament, which is really the only testament they have. They're looking back and saying, hey, isn't that the same thing Daniel was talking about? All right, so we're going to go a direction that maybe some of you aren't expecting today. So listen, I, I was a Christian in the 90s. I, I was old enough to be able to read the, that series of like 50 left behind books <laughs> that, that talks about the, what happens in the end times, right? It, it gives this story of, of what's going to happen. And I mean, sure, that was, that was really cool. Those books... And I have a question here. Do we serve a God who is going to, to give a message of hope and encouragement to the church of 96 AD and say, everything's going to be fine in about 3,000 years? How encouraging does that feel to you? If, Tim, if, if you're facing struggle today in this moment, if you are dealing with hardship and persecution because of your walk with Jesus, and you receive a letter, a word, a message directly from God that says, Tim, everything's going to be fine in 3,000 years. 
Well, what good is that to me? Right? And, and so what, what I want us to consider is that, okay, we, we have this interpretation of the book of Revelation from Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. They're the authors of the Left Behind series. And, and they say that Revelation's going to happen this way, Pastor Matt. I, I know. What else that I know is that they sold a lot of books with that interpretation. And this is not a, a negative towards that, that. That is what they were trying to do, and they did a great job at it. But is that the ultimate interpretation of Scripture where everything should stop? Probably not. And is it safe to say that the book of Revelation, the letter that John wrote to these seven churches, had an application for them in that moment right then? Yes. Was there an application for the church that came 200 years after the immediate receiving of that letter? You bet. Is there an application for us today? that maybe isn't the ultimate coming of Jesus Christ? Yep. Is there going to be an ultimate fulfillment of the book of Revelation where Jesus comes down from heaven and everything is made new? 100%. So the challenge that we have is to, if, and maybe you haven't read these books, in which case you have a clean slate, and I congratulate you for that. But for those of us that have read these, this is where your mind goes. This, it just does. And maybe I'll just speak for myself. This is where my mind goes, is, is that, oh, well, this is absolutely what it's talking about. But there's more to it than just one guy that all of a sudden starts waging a war against the people of God. There's more to it than that. There, there is a battle that's actively happening. And you say, well, Matt, I don't have anybody coming to me saying they want to put a tattoo in my forehead, so I think we're okay. There's more to it than that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So John sees this beast that, that matches the beast in Daniel. This beast in Daniel that represents governments and nations of the earth. I don't think that interpretation is going to change. So the, the beast of the sea represents human kingdoms that have, have, have rejected the living God from the center of their lives. But Matt, in Left Behind, it says that the beast is like a, an actual guy. And maybe he is at some point. Maybe that is an a, a actual fulfillment of revelation that happens in the future. But what I can tell you right now is the church that got this was like, hey, that's Rome. Rome is the government of our day that has completely rejected everything that it means to follow God, that, that makes it impossible for us to buy or sell because we're followers of Christ, that, that does all of these things. That's Rome. Everybody's waving their hands, hey, that's Rome. And the church moving forward all of a sudden has, has a similar reaction to the, the power of that day. And we look maybe in the 1950s, we say, hey, hey, that was Nazi Germany. Hey, hey, that's communist Russia. Hey, that's the power of the earth. And you see, it, it keeps going. It, it continues. Before Rome was the beast, Egypt was the beast, Assyria was the beast, Babylon was the beast. John wants us to see that there, when a nation steps out from under God's rule, it turns bestial. Power that is no longer exercised under God's seeks to play God. 
Governments that step out from under the rule of God do not become more divine. They become more demonic. If governments exalt humanity as the measure of all things, they do not become more humane. They become more bestial. So John, excuse me, John highlights that, that as nations become more demonic and more bestial, they're, becoming, they're being used by the dragon. The dragon is, is utilizing that tactic to wage war against the people of God. And so we, we see in the scripture in, in the first 10 verses that there's a, a mortal wound that happens. And this wound is kind of almost mimicking a resurrection that happens with Jesus. We know that this beast is hard to kill. And, and if you look back to the 1940s, every, the, the entire world goes to war to defeat Nazi Germany, right? And what happens almost immediately after Germany is defeated? Communist Russia comes and takes its place. Another enemy to the, the people of God. As you look throughout the world, you see all of these different totalitarian regimes that are, are persecuting the church, that are, are, are persecuting followers of Christ. And if we're ready to get a little bit more honest, our country is not looking too good. Verse 4, people worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The purpose of the beast isn't just to have political power. That's not the end game. The end game isn't just for the, the governments of the world to be in power. The objective is capturing the loyalties of people and diverting it away from the worship of the one true God. That's the reason. This beast fights us not by throwing us into jail, not by killing us or, or doing anything to, to really persecute us. This beast fights us by trying to get us to worship the state. This beast wants us to put our faith and our trust in something that cannot help us and that absolutely is not going to ultimately save us. So there's, are we understanding there's a beast that existed in 93 AD that that church was facing? And that beast has followed throughout history. And you say, well, Matt, isn't there going to be a beast like the beast? There may be a, a physical representation of a single person that results sometime in the future. I don't know. I can't see that. But my question is, is that the most important thing? Or should we be looking at the beast that we are facing today? This beast wants us to put our faith and trust in something that cannot save us. This is the game of the enemy. This is the game and the goal of the dragon, and he is good at it. And sometimes we, we look at, at things that are going on around us and we're like, oh, is this it? Is, is this the enemy? And what I know is that the plan of the enemy is going to sound amazing. 
The plan is going to sound reasonable. It's going to sound logical. The enemy doesn't telegraph his punches. But the state isn't the only way that the dragon seeks to destroy the people of God. If we read verses 11 through 18. It says, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it, it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all of the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and all its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth, and it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to an image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its names. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. The purpose of this second beast is to get people to worship the first one. Okay? So, political power that is moved out from under God, right? That, that's a, a way that we can kind of label the first beast. The second beast performs signs. It, it creates an image. It persecutes those that don't worship the first beast. And this is where we, we see the mark being discussed. We see this, this mark that's being applied. And, and it's interesting because the mark that's being talked about is mimicking, once again, the Lamb of God, where, where the Lamb of God seals the believer. And with that mark, you can't buy, without that mark, you can't buy and sell in the market. And later on in Revelation, if you look at, at future chapters, it, it references this second beast as, as the false prophet. So if the, the beast from the sea is dragon-manipulated political power, the beast from the earth is dragon-manipulated religious power and institutions. True prophets lead people to the worship of the living God, right? That's, that's kind of the point. So that means that a false prophet is leading people to worship anything but God. The beast is advocating put, putting trust and hope in human institutions. The second beast encourages compromise between us and the culture around us. This is what we talked about last week, where we start talking about this process of, of deconstruction, where we start looking at the Bible and saying, did God really say that? Did, did God really say that there is only one way? To get to heaven, did God really only only say that that there is one definition of marriage between man and a woman? Did God really say that this, that, and the other thing? 
there's no way that the Bible actually says that. There's no way that the God of the Bible actually believes that. Nope, he does. And then maybe there's this thought process of, well, maybe we can make Christianity pretty for people. If we just take some of these things that, that seem so exclusive, that seem so difficult, that seem so demanding, if we take some of those and just, let's just put that on the shelf for a little bit, maybe we can make it easier for people to want to come and, and, and join with Jesus. Maybe we can make being a Christian cool again. We don't fight these beasts by studying these beasts in the book of Revelation. We fight these counterfeit copies by knowing the real thing. The, the secret service is in charge of spotting counterfeit bills, right? That's, that's one of their, their mandates. They don't know every single way to counterfeit a bill. Those are always changing. That's something that, that would be way too hard to keep track of. You know what they know? They know the real thing so well that they are able to spot a fake when they see it. They know the real thing so well that they can spot a fake when they see it. They know the nature, they know the beauty, the character of Jesus so well that they can look at anything else and call it out as a pathetic substitute. We're not talking about the Secret Service anymore. Um, that's how we combat these beasts in our day. So what? How are we supposed to live? What is this supposed to look like? Anytime Christians start talking about the book of Revelation, there are a few different topics that, that always come up. One is, like, are we pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Like, wh when are we going to not have to deal with this anymore, right? When are we going to be taken away? <laughs> and then the other question that immediately comes is the mark of the beast. Was it the vaccination, Pastor? No. No, it, it wasn't the vaccination, okay? It's, it's not your cell phone. It's, it's, it's not any of those things, okay? Our enemy is smarter than that. 666 is a symbol. Let's, let's, let's talk about this for just a minute. And... and Okay, let's go back to the revelation according to Tim LaHaye, left behind. Matt, he says that there's going to be a tattoo, that there's a microchip that's going to get stuck in my forehead. And Okay, maybe there is. Maybe there is. Maybe that at some point that is a reality that is going to come about. I think there's a mark that we need to be concerned about today as well. Six is one less than seven. You're welcome. I did all of that work for you today. Um, I, I didn't even have to look in a commentary for that one. Um, there's seven, six, right below that. Seven is the number of completeness. So it would make sense to consider that a number less than seven is incomplete. The best that the beast can do is mimic. We already saw that he's trying to mimic everything he can. He's trying to mimic the Trinity of God even. 
So why are there three sixes? Because three is also a number of completeness. And so it would be safe to say that, that our enemy is completely incomplete. So, so when is the tattoo coming? When is the brand coming? When's the microchip coming? And what if, what if it isn't? What if in our lifetime today, there isn't a microchip that comes out? What if our life, in our lifetime today, there's not a tattoo that comes out for your forehead? I don't know the future. You don't know the future. But I think we're missing the point. If, if we look at where, where are we being told that this tattoo, that, that this mark is going to be applied, it's going to be applied to our forehead and to our hands, right? And if it's going to be applied to our forehead, those two points, have, they're not mentioned by accident. There's a reason that they talk about the forehead and the hand. If we look back to, to uh, Hebrew law, there's the Shema. This is the law of God written down and actually worn on the forehead. The law of God worn on the forehead. It was marked on the, the hand. They, they would anoint like the thumb, right, with the, the blood of the lamb. They would, they would mark and, and put the law of God on, on their doorposts, on the gates of the city. It was all over the place. The forehead and the hand are significant because they point back to ideology, the, the thoughts, the internal workings of a person, and the hand is the action that comes out of that person. So if that's the case, then that means that the mark of the beast has to do with the, the thought process, the ideology, the, the, the thinking that is going on inside of me, and then it's being lived out through the, hand, the work of my hands. Well, Matt, are you saying that, that there could be people with the mark of the beast alive today, right now, because of the, the things that they are, are choosing to believe and the actions that they're choosing to take? Yes, I think that's probably a safe bet to say. Because if this was applicable to 96 AD church and they're receiving that message, then wouldn't that have applied to them too? And doesn't that apply to, to every instance going forward? And we, then we look forward and say, yeah, but Matt, isn't there going to be a time where there's like a 666 tattooed to somebody's forehead? Maybe, but that doesn't concern me today. How I follow Christ today concerns me. How we follow Christ together concerns me. And it seems pretty applicable that there could be the mark of the beast present on people that are choosing not to follow Christ today. The mark of the beast is taken when the people of God are no longer serious about sin, when they're no longer serious about holiness, when they choose to put their faith and trust in human situations, in human, human institutions and counterfeits, instead of the one true God. And we say, this is where my faith and hope lies. I don't need God anymore. That is when the mark has been applied. And then the inevitable question, oh shoot, did I take the mark of the beast without knowing? 
right? Because that's everybody's question. Like, man, I sure hope I didn't sign up for the wrong side of the team. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. And the fact that you care that it works that way means that you're good. (laughs) The forehead represents a commitment to an ideology. And the hand is living out that commitment. All right. We need to have a a quick family meeting. We're going to talk politics for a second. Ooh. Matt, pastors aren't supposed to do that. So what does this mean? This means that the right wing and the left wing ideologies are both sixes. The right is correct to a point, and then they serve the dragon. The left is correct to a point, and then they serve the dragon. And you might hate that. And I hate that you hate that. But it's the truth. If the church in this nation is so focused on political ideology that says we, we're right and we're right in this club, then we are going to just get tossed on the trash heap with every nation that has come before us. We must repent and step away from saying, I, I follow the, the left or the right ideology and instead say, I follow the Christ ideology. No longer is it a measure of, well, what does the right have to say about this? It's now a measure of what does Jesus have to say about this particular event that is taking place in my world, in my city, in my town, in my life? What does Jesus have to say about this? Our fight is not to be taken up with the weapons of the enemy. What did we just sing about our our, our weapons being? My weapons are praise and thanksgiving. Revelation 13.10 says we are called to faithful endurance. It is too easy to show up for the fight excited based purely on adrenaline. We cannot be people that show up to the fight just excited because we had a really good pregame pep talk. I had a, a very encouraging uh, interaction at the pool a few weeks ago that I'm going to share. So I, I work out at the pool from like 8 to 9 o'clock at night on a couple of days during the week. And normally I'm like one of two people there, if not the only one there. And this time, a group of high school guys, it looked like maybe they were on the football team, came in and, of course, like cannonballed right into the middle of my lane. And it's <laughs> like, okay, it's going to be one of those. And so I just kind of keep going, work around it. You know, to be fair, they, they did try to kind of get out of the way. And as I get to, to one end, one of these guys shares with me, hey, I bet you I can beat you to the other end of the pool. Okay, let's try. (laughs) And so I just went and I got to the other side of the pool and he was about a quarter of the way 
to the pool, and then he just stopped. And that was great. That, that felt good as a, an old guy who's, who's still uh, learning how to swim. Okay, I, at least I was able to, to beat out this high schooler that was kind of getting a little cocky, right? And, but the point of sharing the, the story isn't to say anything about me. It's to say adrenaline is only going to get you a quarter way down the pool. And then there has to be something else. There has to be some amount of training. There has to be some amount of preparation. If I just show up to the fight based purely on adrenaline, I'm going to get the snot kicked out of me. What does faithful endurance look like? Here is how we fight the enemy. We have a serious pursuit of holiness in our own lives. Holiness is hating sin and loving righteousness. And I mean a violence against sin. And before you get any great ideas, I mean a violence against our own sin, not everybody else's, because I know you know how to find everybody else's sin just fine. I'm talking about dragging my own sin, kicking and screaming into the light, saying this cannot stand. And when I do that, I become a problem to the enemy. But Matt, if people know what's going on in my life, if they know about the things that I have been hanging on to, it could ruin everything that I am. You need everything that you are to be ruined. If everything that you are is dependent on a facade of you being dishonest about the sin in your life, that needs to be ruined. Without it, you may as well just sit on a shelf. Because you are not any good in this fight. Well, Matt, that seems kind of harsh. It is. It is. We are going into war, and if we are going into war, we have to be ready to fight. And if you cannot be ready to fight, you shouldn't show up. A serious pursuit of holiness is saying sin will not have any power over me or my home any longer. What does a serious pursuit of holiness look like in regards to how I spend my time? Where I spend my time speaks of value. I don't have to do X, I don't have time to do X because of Y. What is Y and is Y furthering the kingdom of God? That sounds so black and white. And Maybe sometimes it is. Maybe sometimes it's not, but I think it's a good question for us to be asking. So we have a a serious pursuit of holiness. We have a serious pursuit of prayer and worship. And when we talk about worship, sometimes we get so caught up in the, the musicality of worship. But worship is attention. How do I order my life so that my attention is on God? And sometimes when we think of prayer, when we think of prayer, we think of of a lack of action. Well, are you just going to sit there and pray the whole time? Are you going to get up off your butt and do something? Prayer doesn't mean a lack of action. Prayer is informed action. If you think of the Nehemiah, right, he, he shows up to the king and he says, hey, I, I want to go and, and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We want to go get this city rebuilt. And he says, okay, do you, 
what he needs. Glad you asked. And he pulls out his, his scroll of 40 things. I've been praying and fasting for 40 days. I'm ready. That's what a serious focus and pursuit of prayer and worship is. is showing up to the king saying, I've got the list. I'm ready to go. And finally, we need a serious pursuit of hospitality. Wait a minute. Prayer and worship I get. Pursuit of holiness I get. I just have to have people in my house? What? That's the last one? Now, now hear me. We're not entertainment. Hospitality. Entertainment is, is really more about the host. Whereas hospitality is all about the guest. Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than any others? Do not even the pagans do that. This is welcoming the stranger. Now, our announcement. I think it's probably safe to say that we here at Wood Street Chapel maybe need some practice in-house with this before we start saying, yeah, we're so good at doing this in-house that, that we can actually take this outside of the four walls of the, of the church. When I have conversations with people that don't know the first and last name of somebody who's been attending our church for over a year, that tells me that we maybe need to do a little remedial work. We are family. We're followers of Christ. We aren't supposed to be strangers, and yet we are. How am I supposed to defeat the enemy through faithful endurance via the pursuit of hospitality if I'm not even demonstrating hospitality to my own family? Let alone to my enemies, let alone to the strangers that, that don't know me at all. One author says this, most of us know what true hospitality feels like. It means being received openly, warmly, freely, without any need to prove ourselves. Hospitality makes us feel worthy because our host assumes we are worthy. This is what we receive from God, and this is what God directs us to. I love that. Hospitality makes us feel worthy because our host assumes that we are. Now, this is so much more than we're going to have a home group where people are going to come and, and eat a meal together. Not the point. The point is hospitality. A time to, where we can come together and, and feel worthy because that's what the host assumes you are. We're, we're putting together, we're, we're starting 
something. We, I don't have the specifics for you yet, but I do have something for you to sign up for. Don't you lie if when you, there is a sign-up sheet for something and you don't know any of the details for it yet? This is my plan. See, I'm just looking for commitment. You guys don't need to know about it. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. What I would like to see, I have a clipboard that's up here. I'll put it, we'll put it, Kaylee, can you just put it on the back table, actually? Thanks. Um, it's going to be sitting out there. I'm asking for three things, just three. We're calling this Let's Gather. It, it, would you be interested in showing up? That's all. Like, would you be interested in showing up so that hospitality can be practiced in the church? Well, Matt, what does that mean? I don't know. I did, what I do know is in the past when we've tried to do this, it's been like three people. God is calling us to faithful endurance. One of the ways we do that is through a relentless pursuit of hospitality in the church. So would you show would you just show up? I'm not even asking you to, like, you don't have to make anything. You don't have to, like, we're not going to, like, bring the entire church to your front door and be like, we're here. No, that's, that's not what this is. Would you show up sometime? Like, it, that's the level of commitment I'm looking for. Like, I could consider maybe showing up some point in the near future. Like, I'm, I'm low-hanging fruit here. So put your name down. Put the number of people that you would bring with you. And then the last column, would you be willing to host? That's all. And if your answer is no, totally fine. That, that is just a, a logistical point for me. That's all I want. Is if we can get that information to start, and then from there, I will bring more to you. How do we make war against the beast? Not with their weapons, but with radical faithfulness woven into the very fabric of our lives. Praise and thanksgiving have to be woven into the very fabric of my life. Radical holiness has to be woven into the very fabric of my life. A, a knitting together of the family of God has to be woven into the very fabric of my life. That is how I make war against the beast, and we're going to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that you show up. God, that you are faithful. Lord, we ask that you would, would open our eyes to see the ways that you have called us to, to participate in this battle. And God, help us to see that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. God, that our, our battle is, is against the, the spiritual forces, Lord, that, that our battle is not to be waged with the weapons of the enemy, that our battle is to be waged through faithful endurance. Lord, we thank you that we can be strong, that we can endure, that we can stand, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. Lord, as we go into this week, cause our minds to be open. 
cause us to be aware of, of the interactions that we have, the, the meetings and appointments that you put before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 